who's my ideal client? Thinking about what's important to me. Do I want to have employees? Are they going to be contractors? It's really important that you take the time to really lay the foundation of your why. You know, starting with the dream. What's the dream? What's the vision? What's your mission? What's your purpose? I mean, those things are really real because they keep you grounded in the struggle because this is not for the faint of heart. Being an entrepreneur, you have to have grit, grist, and just a stamina and a determination to get it done. Welcome to CPA Risk Chat. Each episode highlights our guests' area of expertise as they share personal stories and industry experiences to help inspire and motivate CPAs and offer up-to-date knowledge you can put into practice today. This month's spotlight is on entrepreneur Bridget Gagne, founder and managing partner of Gagne Associates, CPAs, PLLC. Her firm specializes in helping female founders and nonprofits navigate their organization's financial management. Bridget is also co-founder of Not Your Average Bean Counter, bootcamp that develops well-trained bookkeepers. We talked to Bridget about her professional journey from the corporate world to starting her own business and her perspective on how technology has impacted client relations, the importance of community in the profession, and how vision, mission, and purpose can be key to sustaining a business. Our interview was conducted by Al Finell, Vice President of the AICPA Professional Liability Programs at AON. Now, here's our spotlight on Bridget Gagne. The first question I wanted to start off with was, when did you know you wanted to be a CPA? I knew in high school, actually. Um, I, I was really good at math, and I was like, okay, that's it. First, I was going to the engineering route. I was going to be an engineer, and I had a high school teacher who said, oh, so you're going to drive trains. And I went, what? And so I was like, no, I don't want to drive trains. <laughs> so then I ended up in an accounting class and I had this amazing teacher, Mrs. Hawes. I will never forget it. She's the reason I'm an account. I'm a CPA today, but I was in the class and she was just, she just took to me and she was like, Oh my God, you're really, I mean, I was acing it. I was making, I made straight A's an A plus student in accounting. And now she was like, you're really good at this. And I was like, okay. It was my junior year in high school. So by the time I got accepted to the University of Texas at Austin, I knew going in, I was going to be an accounting major. Now, my third year, I was like, oh my God, what the hell was I thinking? I'm sorry, can I say that? Um, <laughs> and so, because it was some class, it was really hard. I was like, oh, but then I love it, intermediate accounting. And I was, and everybody's like, you're weird. So, I knew in high school that I wanted to pursue accounting as a, as a career. Very nice. Did, did, did you have any family members or anyone, you know, close to you that, uh, that was a part of the profession? Not part of the accounting profession, no, but my father was an, an entrepreneur and my, my great-grandparents were, it's a long family story, but they owned a lot of bakeries and things like that in Louisiana. And so I, I didn't realize that until much later in my life. And I was like, oh, that explains the whole accounting, a career entrepreneurship. But no one in my family was in, the, in numbers and accounting or anything like that. So, Well, you, you mentioned the, the professor in high school that kind of sparked the drive and gave you that initial, um, I guess, love for the profession. 
but were there any, you know, as a young woman, were there any other role models that uh, kind of influenced you? Hmm. You know, not really. I mean, not, I mean, I just, something in me just knew that I wanted to be an accountant. And I'll be honest, I didn't really know what that meant at that point. I just knew like we did debits and credits in high school and T accounts and all that. And I was like, oh, I get this. My brain works this way. So then of course I'm in, you know, in college and I went to the University of Texas and Texas was a big school that recruited for the, what was the big eight that I'm telling my age, but for the big accounting firms. And so they were a huge recruiter school. And so that was the whole push. I mean, I saw so much of that, but I will be honest, I didn't see a lot there wasn't this drive towards entrepreneurship or becoming it your own, starting your own business. It was either you go into public accounting or industry. And I actually graduated from college and went to industry. And I ended up working in um, for a natural gas pipeline, a publicly traded pipeline. And so that was where my career began. And a couple of years in, I was like, ah, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this day in and day out, day in and day out. We did the same thing. I was in, in general accounting and it was like, Every month closed, every month closed. And I was like, this is boring. So I ended up going to graduate school. Um, and I'm, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm going down this path going, who were my role models? I mean, I had peers who were accountants and CPAs and going down that path. But in terms of anybody in my immediate purview, no, there wasn't really anyone there. So now you're the role model you know, for individuals out there. And, and that's a good thing. It's, you know, someone's got to blaze the path and influence other individuals. So that's great. Well, you mentioned your, your family, you know, your father being an entrepreneur. In, in regards to your starting your practice, how did you know that that was what you wanted to do? Well, interestingly enough, I knew, again, I would say things and I didn't really know what they meant. I was, I'll never forget, I was at... <laughs> my first corporate job out of college. And we did this, where do you want to be in five years? And so I wrote on my thing that I wanted to own a CPA firm. And I really did not know what that meant. I just, I, I was like, huh, that's what I want to do. I knew I didn't want to be in corporate my entire career. I knew it was important to get some skills that the corporate environment taught me. So a lot of like work ethic and um, just, various parts of my career. Um, so I just knew that there were a lot of things that I could learn just from being in corporate, like systems and processes and something inherently was, I knew that I needed this corporate experience. Yeah. So, you know, I'm in school and, and I knew then I wanted to have a CPA firm. And, you know, dare I say that was in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, I wasn't even a CPA yet at that point. I hadn't even passed the exam, but I knew something, something in me knew that, but I didn't know how that was ever going to happen. Um, and so I, I was at, at the pipeline for a couple of years, got my CPA and then went to graduate school. I ended up going in graduate school in 1991 to 93. And from there I went into corporate banking. And so in the corporate banking world, it was kind of like, I was like, yeah, this isn't it either. And so was let go from the job. And that's when I began to, that I was kind of thrown into it. I was thrown into entrepreneurship and um, in the mid nineties and, and this, the CPA firm that I have today started in 2009. So it was, it was a, it was a, you know, a, a roundabout path to 
being a truly being an entrepreneur and a business owner because I did a lot of independent contractor people would hire me to do projects and ta things like that and then finally I actually started the firm with two other um, black female CPAs and we started it and then everybody decided to go a different path for different reasons we you know we're still in, in communication but we just ended up different paths and deciding that you know maybe that wasn't what they wanted this isn't how they wanted to approach it and so a valuable lesson there was making sure you have common interest and common goals and that doesn't mean that you just want to have a firm together what are your you know, what are the deep things within you what's important to you values family you know why are you in business and so those kinds of things um so that's sort of my path and my journey to actually becoming an entrepreneur. According to Forbes, the majority of black women owned firms grew 67% from 2007 to 2012, um, compared to 27% for all women and 50% 50, 50 from 2014 to 2019, representing the highest growth rate of any female demographic. Um, what are your thoughts about that, you know, in regards to um, the, the, the growth rate for, you know, Black-owned firms, uh, female firms in, 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 in the profession, and then what, um, you know, thoughts or recommendations would you, would you, make, would you make to other individuals? Well, I, I'm, I'm not surprised by that because I think one thing that I've, some of the work and studying that I've done is that the internet has changed a lot of how we do business. I mean, we, that's, you know, fairly obvious. Yes. Technology has shifted how we do business. And, you know, sometimes, and even pre-Zoom world, right? We're in the Zoom world where now we're present with people. Before that, you could, you could have a business online. You could have some presence. And sometimes, it, not being face to face with people is helpful because then people there's this this you know that that they don't I don't know I think there's some psychology around that but I only play a psychologist on TV so I don't really want to speak to that but <laughs> but I think that I, I'm not surprised that there are more entrepreneurs more women in business just because of what the internet has done right there's a book called um, The Gatekeepers Are Gone by Lamar Tyler and he talks about how particularly in the publishing world, you don't have to, um, you don't have to go through the big guys anymore. You can look, we had, look at all the, the internet sensations who came. I think Justin Bieber was one. All these people became famous on the internet because, because of the internet gave us access to people, Facebook, social media. And so I'm not surprised by that. But I think what's important though, and I sort of alluded to this, one of the important things about being an entrepreneur and going into this field or any profession is knowing what you want, why you're doing it, who your customers are. I mean, there's so many things that we forget to, we just, like, I just started. I just was like, I got to make money. I need, you know, some kind of revenue. And so I started not really thinking about um, my avatar. We hear that a lot. Who's my ideal client? Thinking about what's important to me. Do I want to have employees? Um, are they going to be contractors? So it's really important that you, you really take the time to really lay the foundation of your why. I mean, you hear that. I used to hear that. Well, why? why? Know your why. Know your why. But that is really an important part of 
being an entrepreneur is really saying, which, you know, you know, starting with the dream, what's the dream? What's the vision? What's your mission? What's your purpose? I mean, those things are really real because they keep you grounded in the struggle because this is not for the faint of heart. Being an entrepreneur, you have to have grit, grist, and just a stamina and a determination to get it done, right? And so, and even, even having all those things doesn't guarantee that you're going to maintain because the marketplace may do something. You may not have the right niche. You didn't think about all these things. And so having those, those groundings, I think, are the things that can help you through the ebbs and flows of entrepreneurship. So um, I, one of the, I, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a big reader and I'm a um, life learner. And one of the books that is critical for any business owner is the E-Myth Revisited. It is a very foundational book by Michael Gerber. And I recently had the opportunity to be in a, um, a mastermind group where we spent an entire day with him and it was phenomenal. And that's what he talked about. He's been doing this over 60 years and he's like, it's the same. You've got to create repeatable, sustainable systems. And so my advice is, is that lay foundation that'll make your life so much easier. Will it be hard? Yes, but it, it'll take some of the bumps out of the road if you, if you lay foundation in terms of understanding vision, mission, um, purpose, dream, having those things, and then creating sustainable systems. Almost like, and Michael Gerber talks about a franchise model and a franchise system. It doesn't mean you have to be a franchise, but you wanna think about setting up repeatable systems. So those would be my, that would be my advice. What, what would you say, you know, you know, as you started your, your, your practice and you're developing it, what would you say your biz, biggest success is so far? My biggest success is employees, having employees who are able to function without me. <laughs> Scary, right? But to be able to have employees, see these employees and you're like, I don't have to be there. I don't have to technician. That is huge, is that now I can really show up as the CEO and the managing partner and really direct the firm and the vision that we have for this firm. And so having employees is the biggest game changer. The, 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 the biggest success that I've seen has been in hiring employees, W2 employees, because there's there can be a difference between having 1099 contractors versus employees. Now, what it did create, though, is um, risk management skills, right? So now i got to think about, okay, we're in a remote environment. How do I deal with them getting computers, their security, and all of that stuff? So um, having, I will say, we have insurance for that. <laughs> And so I, I, I spent time on the Professional Liability Insurance Program Committee with the um, AICPA and learned the importance of managing risk. And, and that has given me peace of mind knowing that, okay, if something goes wrong or my employees accidentally do something that we're covered. So, um, you know, so, so that, so the, the trade-off for my greatest success is also creating, managing risk around them too. While, while uh, sitting on the AIC professional, li professional, personal liability insurance program committee, what other uh, things that were you able to take away 
um, in regards to that volunteering and, and how has that helped your professional development? Oh, well, you know, there were there are things that you, this profession has a lot of regulation, especially as a CPA firm versus an accounting firm, right? So there's a lot of regulation and there's so much we don't know. I mean, we, you can't know everything, right? And so what I realized is that as a member of the AICPA prior to joining this committee, I knew there were a lot of tools out there. I knew there was all, but you just never know, well, when do I go there or, or, or when does that happen? And, and a lot of what I learned from being on the committee is that there, we have exposures that we don't have any idea that are sitting out there, right? And because we may not, a lot of firms don't, it, the, the liability never manifests, that we don't think there's anything out there. But the one time you have something go wrong, it could mean the death of your firm. And so I, what I learned is the, the importance of having that, you know, having that, and it, and it gave me more peace of mind knowing that I had this insurance sitting under there that if something goes wrong, if I do something wrong inadvertently, I mean, we are all human, but things could go awry. Um, do I have agreements in place? I, I literally use this with my clients all the time. If they aren't, if they weren't paying, I'm like, we can't do that until we have a signed agreement. And then, so now we really, because our insurance requires or our re insurance has us make sure we have agreements. And, and that was one of the biggest lessons I learned is that having an agreement because, you know, the best of intentions, you can go in there, you're all, we're all friends at the beginning of the engagement, but at the end, when things go wrong and fingers being pointed and blame is being shifted and who's going to take this on, having someone to go to bat for you is really an important aspect of of our firm because it is heavily a lot of compliance litigation is out there and we sometimes think we're immune to it and i think that being in those meetings really helped me to realize that plus there's a lot more to it than just you know we talk about professional liability but we also talk about what's going on in the industry you know the the uh, the powers that be at AICPA are present in our meeting. So we're hearing that. We're hearing legislative things that are going on. So, I mean, the one of the areas that was really big for us because we have e-commerce clients was the Wayfair case. Um, and, and having, you know, hearing about the Wayfair case and sales tax and all of that, it was kind of like, oh, we really need to pay attention to this. According to ACCA study, more than half of all corporate level executives across multiple industries believe that automated systems will have the biggest impact for accountants in the, the next few years. What do you see as possible pros and, and cons? And how do, you, how do you think CPAs can pre best prepare for this, this shift? I think that we have to embrace automation and artificial intelligence. And at the same time, recognize that they can't replace us 100%. I think we have to be smart about, um, because we're um, a virtual firm and we've been virtual since 2012, 13. Um, and so really have been doing things remotely for a long time and embracing technology. I think we have to, as a profession, embrace technology 
artificial intelligence and, and use it as a, think of it as a tool and not necessarily a replacement. I think like we have, I, I have to have accountants who are going in and doing the debits and credits because the, the, the AI doesn't know that a particular transaction could have a balance sheet effect or that same vendor could have a P&L effect. And so I need a person to make that distinction. And so I think it's important that we recognize that, that we can't 100% rely on technology, but we also have to embrace it and use it to create automations that take people out of the process. That's that creating repeatable, sustainable systems and then figuring out, then that gives us time to think about where can I add more value in, on the compliance side and talking about what are some, I mean, things like benefits and being able to have that conversation and having these communications with our clients about strategy. How do you think strategically about generating sales that your artificial intelligence is not going to be able to make that connection. And so we've done in our firm, we were, we used to be, you know, we do accounting and bookkeeping and, you know, compliance work. And now we won't, if we won't just do that clients now, our pivot in our business over the last two years has been, we provide more advisory. And I think we have to embrace our role. We say trusted advisor all the time, but that isn't necessarily, um, it doesn't, it, we have to know what that really means. A trusted advisor means that we're actually giving them advice, not just being you know, available that at the end of the year when it's compliance time, but being there and giving advice and saying, hey, let's do this. Let's think about this. Why are your sales? What do you want to do with your life? And so we really have embraced creating strategy for our clients rather than just saying, you know, here's your tax return. Here's your P&L and balance sheet. And they don't know what it means, you know, and so really helping them to read and tell their story, their financial story. So we have to shift. We really do have to make that shift. And because even... Even in the world of audit, you know, we did audit for a while and that's no longer part of our business model, quite honestly. It just, the margins weren't there for where we were going. Do we need auditors? Absolutely. We all know we need auditors. But, and you have to decide if that's the model that you want. And again, embrace the, embrace the intelligence, artificial intelligence in those models, but know that I don't think we can be fully replaced. We're not, can't be like vending machines, you know, like you can, it just, it just, it's, I just don't think that you get good data if you don't have a person looking at that data. Now, when, when you're talking about the, the technology shift and how the profession has evolved on that side or is evolving, when you throw the, you know, the influences of the pandemic in there, how has that changed your interaction or assisted your interaction while we've been going kind of through this, this turmoil? It's been just, you know, white water for, you know, 12, 14 months now. Yeah. Well, you, to your point, it has really enhanced our ability to do this, right? Because there, we did have some clients who still wanted us to show up in the, in the office or they wanted us there. And we have, we have, we have clients across the country and so what the pandemic said was, you don't need me there. We use technology, we use systems, we can, we can have the same conversations virtually. And so it has definitely um, enhanced what we do. 
just because now I, I, it's like, well, I can't come or I'm not coming or you're not, we're not going to meet. And people have embraced these new platforms. Um, and I think that, again, this is just the way, and, and we even have, you know, when our clients can't meet with us, we create Loom videos. We create Loom videos and go over the financials, tell the story, send them the write-up. And, and they're even just, because then they can do it on their own time. They can, if they don't want to, if they don't have time to talk to us during the day or during the week, they can look at this on the weekend or late at night and go back to what we've shared with them. So um, I think we have to continue to embrace it. And, and plus, it, for me, I love to travel so I can be anywhere. You guys don't even know where I am right now. <laughs> you just think I'm sitting at this cool bar, but I'm not. <laughs> Don't burst my bubble. <laughs> <laughs> I could be in Costa Rica, Val, you know. <laughs> I'm not, but I wish. I could. Is there, you know, is there, we've, we've gone through a ton of questions, and, and is there anything um, that you would like to kind of relay to uh, in the out there that's looking at the profession? What would you like to, what would you like to relay to them? You know, there's so much. Um, I think it's important. And to, something we talked a little bit about a little bit earlier about role models and having someone there. Because I didn't really see anybody, and I'm pretty much a self-starter, right? I can, I'm, I'm like, I'm going to get out. I'm going to figure it out. I'm a figure it out kind of girl, which is great. And it got me to a long way. But one of the things that I think is really, really critical to success faster is people. And what I mean is having mentors, being a part of, um, I'm a part, you know, this whole notion of masterminds is kind of the new thing that we're seeing in terms of community, having community, because this can be a very lonely profession. And this can be, and, and just entrepreneurship can be very lonely because you can't always have conversations with your family and your friends about what you're doing. And they're like, why don't you just get a job? And I'm like, well, I'm creating jobs. So I'd rather do that than just get a job, right? And so, and, and being clear about why you're doing, again, I go back to that why, be clear on your why and who you want to serve and why you want to serve them and to have community. It's, it's really, really important to be a part of a community. And I would also say therapy. <laughs> I mean, I think that we, you know, we hear that a lot now um, in this day and age about, you know, sometimes you, I mean, you can feel like you're crazy in this world. <laughs> and so it's sometimes you just need someone to tell you, you know what? What's going on? Yeah, you're doing okay. Or, you know, maybe you need to do something different. Maybe you need to take more self-care, maybe all of this. And I'm speaking from experience because I, I unashamedly have gone to therapy just because I was too one-sided with the business because it was me. And that's why I think it's really important to, to have other people that you can have these, like I have other female CPAs that I can call when we're dealing with stuff and we can talk the language and get each other and be like, just to get, just to kind of vent, you know, women, we emote really well. And so it's important that we have that, that someone who understands, you know, can you believe that client didn't do X, Y, and Z? you know, related to filing something, you know, and so we can have these conversations and, and just as not anything derogatory about a client or anything, because we love our clients, but just kind of like, you just, sometimes, you know, you just got to go, oh, I need, oh, 
somebody to understand where I'm coming from, but I think it's really important to be engaged in the community. And, and, and I will go back to the professional liability insurance program with AICPA or any of the um, committees, because now that gets you engaged in the profession and it, and it elevates your game when you're having conversations in the business community that you can talk about being part of you know, the profession, especially as the AICPA holds such a high standard for us in this profession. So I would just really connecting with people in the profession is really important. It's something that I would leave people with, especially as women. Very cool. Very cool. I'm, I'm telling you, I, last year we um, worked on our vision, our strategic vision and who we are and how we show, and it changed, it totally changed game for us and and we're starting to see really exponential growth because who we say we are we're able to show up and people are being attracted to it so i'm excited i love what i do i really do i love this work and and that's why i'm always looking for these opportunities to um to either speak about it or again i'm coming back on some committee i think i want to do pcps next i really appreciate your your energy around it, it this, that, this was just been great and i learned a ton <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you and I sat next to each other at the meetings, and we kind of go back and forth with questions and whatnot. It's like every time I, every time I spend time with you, Bridget, I learn a ton. I definitely, oh. I appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. And I, I tell you, I love you guys. I really did love serving on that committee. It was bittersweet to have to leave because one, the other thing was the travel was great. It was great to go to great places and have great food and to have this community with people. I mean, it really was. I think this is one of the best things that I could have done. Thanks for listening. The CPA Risk Chat is a production of AICPA member insurance programs, a trusted advocate for CPAs, providing exclusive access to superior risk solutions that safeguard your livelihood and protect your lifestyle. Visit CPAI.com for more information. Subscribe to this podcast to be notified of future episodes. See you next time.